Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 156 with my friend, Rebecca Rush. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, you might remember Rebecca from an episode that we did over a year ago. Uh, and Rebecca reached out to me because it turned out that she was in the middle of a whole bunch of shit uh, in her life at that moment, um, including a relapse and Rebecca is someone I know through my sobriety circles, so when she asked if I would uh, take down that episode and redo it, obviously I had no issue with that, and I was happy to sit down and talk with her again, and we kind of address all that right in the beginning, and I think that this is a, is a great example of how you can uh, confront the discomfort and move past it. And sometimes just having that uncomfortable moment is, is worth all the other time. And there you go. I'm not going to give away anything else. I'll let you get into it. This is, without further ado, my friend, Rebecca. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Can I, are you, are you good if I start recording? Sure. Okay. It's funny. You are, you're the only person I ask that to. <laughs> um, just based on our past interactions. <laughs> I don't really know. I don't really know like what I did wrong. Like, I know I was going through a lot last October. And uh, when I was trying to do 12 step again, like, it's very tempting. They're just like, if you just blame yourself for everything. And I'm like, that's what my family want for a moment, where it's almost like I think I can like fix the world by like being like, and you get an apology. And you, and then I realized I'm like, I don't really know what I did wrong. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. If you didn't, and I set myself up kind of with you. Like I set you up. I'm like, I apologize. And then you're like, thank you. And then I'm like, why the fuck do you think I owe you an apology? <laughs> okay. I was just in a dark place. Why are we all shaming me for like, I was like, wait, if he didn't like if the episode, he could have just not put it up. Um, but I do that a lot. Where it's like, I sense it's wrong that I've offended somebody and I just apologize, but not always, a lot of times it's like a misinterpretation, but not always. Um, and I was in a really weird place last year and I was going through a lot. Um, yeah. I'm, so why don't you tell me well, I, I'm what you experienced that we're supposed to like laugh together about. Cause I, I like, I, I just, I could like, said something and I looked at the date and I was like I know I was going through a lot and I only had like part of the story for me but I went all the way back into AA and then came all the way back out and I was like I get it now like my, my big mistake was that I drank when I left <laughs> like that was my problem like you know it wasn't I need to go back I just needed to remember that I can't drink yeah. it was hard well, I, I mean, for for the listeners, 
I, I think I should clarify, like, this is, you re- so you reached out to me, you asked if I would take down the other episode, and we could kind of redo our conversation to some degree, correct? Is that right? Did I understand that right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, first, I, I think the apology thing is funny, because I don't necessarily think you owed me an apology but it's a weird thing that you pointed out and and i'm feeling that weirdness right now of apologizing and then being offended that someone took the apology (laughs) it's it's kind of like uh and this is a little how i experienced you over a year ago when we kind of essentially met for the first time really um is like highly defensive and ready for someone to fuck with you. Um, and I don't necessarily know how to act in that situation. Cause I'm not someone that generally fucks with people, <laughs> but I, I felt the defensiveness from the start. So let's well, it's the subject matter, I guess, really, you know, this is like, this, I wasn't ready to talk about, autism last year, like in the middle of getting diagnosed while I was relapsing. Um, So I'm sorry that I thought I was. I certainly wasn't ready to talk about AA. And um, I just, you're right. It has nothing to do with you. It's the topics that make me feel so defensive and scared and like, you know, so I I felt really, really like exposed and then so embarrassed because like, I'm trying to figure out like my whole life, you know, as an AA for 15 years, not knowing I was autistic and just banging my head against the wall over and over when the steps failed to turn me into a neurotypical, you know, and other people would be like nice to me. And I just didn't know what was what. So like, you're right. We don't know each other. And you're like, "I I don't know you at all. And I'm not like this with everyone. It's the, you're right. I like, I, that energy that we just went through again, like that's it. That's the thing. Do apologize for that. It's not clearly about you, right? But you still have to experience it. And that's not cool. Apology. I refuse to accept your apology. <laughs> it feels like dangerous territory. That's the trap. so okay i get it now well i mean i didn't at the time be like i'm gonna apologize and then i'm gonna be mad (laughs) like i didn't conjure i i'm always examining and like scanning joanne Lindbergh, an autistic author writes that she's like always scanning her social interactions afterwards like the way that she scans her pores and i'm like exactly you know, and I've been doing that my whole life. And you're just like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. And it, and it can go so many different ways from there. Um, That's got to be exhausting to yeah. some degree. To all degrees. Yeah. It's just one of the things that's exhausting, you know? Yeah. And that's really, like, I could talk all day about what's wrong with it. It doesn't matter with 12-step. It's just that's really what it's about. It's that... I wouldn't put myself in like regular society. So exhausting for me. 
because I can understand intellectually, like, I shouldn't let that get to me. Well, guess what? Tell my fucking nervous system that. Because I've been, like, I can been intellectually understanding what should and shouldn't drain my battery, according to somebody who is not me, my whole life. And it just, like, you can't fight City Hall, man. (laughs) I mean, I tried. The law won. (laughs) And the law wants to stay home. (laughs) She (laughs) does not want to force herself to interact with people i guess i realize how much of my energy i burn up because like it's this setup of like everything you say is an excuse in in 12 steps specifically and i understand like the need for that stuff but also there's not really a lot of room for nuance yeah but it's just that it's like exhausting on top of everything else being exhausting like my i don't know it's neighbors have christmas party season and they're not loud or anything they're adults but like why do i my brain here can't filter shit out you know the right way so i'm like listening to like eight conversations and there's like a weird noise coming from my window the heater sounds elect the light bulbs make annoying noises there's a lot going on that's exhausting at any given time you know overstimulated yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, so to add like social on top. No, thank you. Yeah. I always joke and I like, it's only half joking really, I suppose, but like self-awareness is, is this double-edged sword where like, just cause I know something doesn't mean I can like logic my way out of it. <laughs> you know, like just cause like you can tell me something is not panic inducing, but that doesn't mean I'm going to not panic when it happens. Cause that's just, logic doesn't always play a role unfortunately and that's a lot of people that are not neurodivergent in any way don't really understand that and they're like but no it's 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 this way and you're like yeah no i get that but it's not for me (laughs) um so that and that just adds to the frustration especially the more you know about yourself and accepting the level of control you don't have over how you physically and sometimes emotionally mentally react to things it's it's frustrating but also valuable if that makes sense yeah i mean i could probably get like way deeper psychologically into the defensiveness (laughs) if you want to like specifically with neurodivergent men because my dad's a neurodivergent guy there we go and uh, i had a autism coaching session with this guy matthew he's awesome like i adore him now um but the first session we had, he, we had, he was like, do you have pathological demand avoidance? And I was like, no, but that, uh, that's been a big thing. I do have path. And when things can feel like a demand, like I don't even know, even at my own self, like I just get really automatically rejecty. And, and maybe that's what you're seeing as de- experiencing as defensiveness, but it comes from a place of anxiety. Not that it makes it more fun, like on the other end to experience, yeah. um, the autistic thrifter on Instagram actually had a really good reel about, about PDA, but it doesn't matter if other people understand it. Like if I understand it, then I can get more soft with myself. Like I would never, it would really confuse me. Like how come sometimes when people suggest something to me, I'm like, no. And I just can't even like, I haven't even thought yet. And I just, it's like, what if I don't like the thing and then I don't, and then people be like, Oh, it's, and then I, they'll be like, did you like the thing that I recommended? And I'm like, I didn't. And then they're like, Oh, 
And I'm like, what? I have to like it? And they're like, well, it's the way you said it. It's the in, it's all the meaning I gave it because I don't actually see past myself. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. My mother taught me to be sorry I exist. Um, <laughs> kind of how I see that whole thing, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, you don't know me. You don't understand me. I'm going to spend 25 minutes explaining myself at you more and better. And then they're like, now I'm exhausted. Now I don't want to go away from this. Please stop talking at me. This is overwhelming. Yeah. Kind of how it gets sticky. Let me ask you, so you kind of talked about this a little bit as far as comfortability and when you are talking about things that might be uncomfortable or put you in an uncomfortable place, that's where like, uh, you may come off as defensive to me. So let me put the ball in your court. Nothing's off the table, whether you want to talk about like the physics of Christmas lights or you want to dive deep into, I don't know, space. Um, what, what would you like to discuss and talk about today? Oh, well, what are you comfortable with? Cause I, the last thing I want to do and something I pride myself on in all these conversations is I don't like, this isn't a therapy session where I would want to push my client into some uncomfortable places for confrontation reasons. This is a conversation where we're kind of just getting a slice of life of who Rebecca is. And I want to make sure you're comfortable in this conversation above all. So what would you like to discuss where you feel safe and comfortable in talking to me? And I mean that sincerely. Can we talk about Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> um, I have opinions have on that show. Specific? Do you really? <laughs> um, not like educated opinions. <laughs> I have a couple stories though. Um, yeah. Give it, give it up. <laughs> I worked on a reality show called I Want to Be a Soap Star, which is exactly what it sounds like. And <laughs> they shot in the studio right next to Grey's Anatomy. And this was like 2005. And so I I would see all the Grey's stars like when we all went to lunch and everything. And I didn't watch it. I knew people that watched it. I didn't care so much. But then they left like their sides um, for those that don't know, is like a scene, a script scene, um, like on a trash can. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to sell it one day. Uh, and so I did. I held on to it for many, many years and did not get the millions of dollars I thought I would for it. Uh, and when I would occasionally turn it on, it would be something like, there's a bomb in this man's belly. The hospital's going to blow. And you'd be like, what the fuck is this show? And so I don't watch the show, but I have very judgy opinions about it. I understand that. It's crazy because it's been on for 19 seasons. Um, it's kind of similar. To, it's not so much Grey's Anatomy. That is the comfort show and the rewatch are the themes. Like, And it's really funny with like autistic people like rewatching and seeing like what I love most of all about Grey. I don't, I'm not into surgery, hospitals, blood. Who's fucking family nature like the chosen family aspect of it like my escape when i was on my honeymoon we got into like the shuttle you know when we landed and we were the only people that weren't it was like a like a really like group of really older people that were on the shuttle with us to go to our hotel and they're like oh honeymooners and they're like, what are you going to do first? And I was like, I'm going to watch Grey's Anatomy. And I got in like so much trouble. <laughs> he threatened to annul the marriage that night. I'm 
to be fair, my ex-husband threatened to break up with me once a week for the whole six years we were together, whether or not it was like breaking off the engagement or whatever. Like it was, it was a constant, um, but I always fall for it. <laughs> Why would he stop? Oh man. This is the first time he, it was the only time he got to threaten annulment though. Cause that was fun and different, but I really didn't get it. Like never thought about, I don't think about like what makes people's feel like feel embarrassed in front of strangers, mm-hmm. you know, or like, I don't know until I say something and then I feel it. But it's very important to me because it was like what I had control over. I was on this message board on the abc.com site and I still am friends with people from there. This is like the early 2000s. Yes. Weirdly enough, a lot of them turn out to be neurodivergent. The the obsessive like, grays watchers. Fandom? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, my, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to just like, <laughs> now I'm curious. Do you have other comfort shows that you've seen a billion mm-hmm. times? Can we can we do that list? Not a billion. compare and contrast? Well, yeah, um, a billion is not actually, a real number. Yes. I do the rewatch, but also I rewatch in my head so fucking much. I was really into Grey's Anatomy through my marriage. It got me through, right? And then I put it down for a decade and I moved to LA after the winter of catching up on Grey's Anatomy because that's all I did that winter. And I thought I blamed like the winter. I didn't know I was autistic yet. So I was like, oof, got to get out of winter. Look what it did to me. <laughs> you know, I can't have that. It was like a partial solution. But rewatching it now, I'm like, oh, wow, it's been. But it still looms so large in my brain because I think I learned a lot about like how to act from them. Sex in the City literally taught me how to be a woman, which was bad because people <laughs> in college used to. It's bad. In college, people would always be like, you act like a gay man. (laughs) Autistic. Like, I don't fucking know how to act. Like, my mother's autistic. They don't know how to act. They don't even know. They can't even admit. Everything was just very confusing in my house. And I was like, these women are great. You know? I got, like, really in trouble at a comedy club for throwing a drink in someone's face. It's like Samantha, season five, Sushi Samba, at Richard. I'm like, I was told this was acceptable behavior. If you were hot and blonde and a man hurts you, oh, this was acceptable. So it's just, okay. So then I found out like in the last few years, the sex in the city was written by gay men. And I was like, that's why you act like that. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> I just did a rewatch of sex in the city. And then I rewatched and just like that twice. And then the movies. I'm wondering. On the rewatches, Samantha really is the only one that stands the test of time. I will say everybody else ages poorly and i mean their character and their behavior not the way they look yeah i got heavy into sex in the city in uh, early 2000s because my my high school girlfriend um was like big into sarah jessica parker there's a movie if lucy fell which if uh, most people have never heard of i highly recommend anyone listening to this look that up it's a it's a great movie from what i remember maybe it's terrible um this was 25 years ago but then I started watching Sex in the City, and then when I started dating the girl I moved to LA with, I like was bought all the seasons on DVD, and we would just watch it over and over again. And I still remember that terrible, brittle plastic DVD cases that they came in that were like clear, but the second you opened them more than twice, they would just crack and break. Um, terrible. Yes, I had those. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm wondering because uh, you, so you write, you edit, you're. 
I, I'm wondering if you've been able to, or if at all, if this has any effect, frame how autism plays a role in writing and editing, like how it helps, how it frustrates. Um, I can answer a much a question in that arena for you. That's something I was thinking about in the last week because that is a large question. I'll need some time <laughs> to contemplate. Yeah. But, but something that shot out for me is the intersection of my autism and my complex trauma I ha and I get a lot of demand resistance around writing and depending on how safe I feel even with reading because I grew up in an alcoholic home and for me to hyper focus that's terrifying you know because like I'm not going to hear them coming and oh I wasn't, I, yeah, that's as far as I can go with that. Yeah. It's terrifying. Okay. So that's, that's how that works for me. But okay. The other end of that is like taking what I can control out of that, which is like what I've been doing lately, the last few months, like is being like, okay, my problem with writing is, is never going to work if I'm just like, why don't you do it? <laughs> but instead what I focus on is getting myself to feel safe enough to write. And that fucking works. I'm like, okay, like it takes a few hours for me, maybe you too as an adhd -er, to kind of boot up in the morning. Yeah. And in the past, I would decide my day from that point, like whether I was resentful about having to do things or whether I was going to not do things instead of like letting my brain take the two fucking hours at least it needs to come online. Before I'm used to like remotely... Uh, fraction functional <laughs> yeah but i can give myself that grace and be like okay like my job is like regulate my own emotions you know and try not to hurt people in the process hey for a lot of people out there it is dry january and you might be seeking to fill that void that would otherwise be filled with alcohol be that beer spirits or otherwise the good news is there is a lot of options out there um, including NA spirits. You got some, you can get non-alcoholic white claw now, which is a fucking joke because that's just sparkling water. But my personal favorite is the non-alcoholic beers that have come up in the last few years, beers from the last few years in arrears. I mean, maybe some of them, but they are, I mean, just as good and sometimes better depending on the brewery than the regular high octane beers that you would be drinking so if you're looking to cut out the alcohol but still have great taste and flavor your ipas your hazy ipas your stouts your sours your gosas it's all there man uh, and you can head over to one of my favorites bravas brewing at bravas.com use code friend request and all this month guys dry january save 10 percent off your order go on go do it it'll be a good time and Look forward to uh, continuing the use of beer in your gullet. That's that's a sales pitch right there. All right, that seems like a good spot to go back to the episode. Bye. So I put on like Lo-Fi Girl, and it's this repetitive movement that is just so fucking soothing. Like she's studying, she's got her cat. I'm afraid I... I'm afraid I forgot something in the oven. Just come with me. Oh, I never put it in. Great. <laughs> what is now I can forget it in the future. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. What is lo-fi girl? Oh. <gasps>
he is um it's a youtube channel where they just have like mixes of like lo-fi really relaxing music and then it's a cartoon where she's usually studying she's got her headphones on she's not looking directly at you it's for autistic people okay i just realized that as i describe it <laughs> like right. she's, i'm like all the great i'm like she's not looking at you <laughs> She's not making eye contact. She's not giving you social cues. It's totally. There's one where she's sitting on the roof watching fireworks and it's like the fireworks are silent. There's no bang. It's just like, ah, with the music. That's my favorite one. It's like co-working, you know, it's like body doubling. Yeah. So that helps me feel safe, dark lighting and like, like I'll sit in my little yoga pillow and fucking rock like if I have it in me, I'm like, today is like, I'm going to build my way up to feeling able to do the thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then from there, it's like, every time I do the thing, it starts to get easier. And then like something happens, like a life thing, you know? And you get off track, like, and to try not to beat yourself up too much and be like, okay, new routine time. Yeah. New neurodivergence, like, we get all excited about a new routine and then we do the new routine and then we get in a weird burnout period. And then we're like, what happened to my routine? Or maybe that's not working anymore. Not new routine time again. We love new routine time. Yeah. Like there's no reason to feel bad about it. Like. Yeah. My, my get stuff. Get into those. Like, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say like my stuff is typically, so I, I rely heavily on alerts and a calendar that I, try really hard to make on Sundays for my entire week um, to like budget out when I'm going to spend time on what and like assign days like Thursday's podcast day. That's the day I will edit a podcast. If I don't do that, then it will be Sunday night and I'll go, fuck, I haven't edited anything for Monday. Um, so I have Thursday is that day. But the problem I run into is I'll be like, I'll see like a cardboard box that I put in the fucking garage three weeks ago and I'll be like, I need to break that box down and then I'll be like, I'm going to go get this razor to cut this box up. Oh, why isn't this shelf organized? This shelf should be organized. And then like four hours later, I'll just fucking hate myself. Cause I spent four hours like meticulously perfection, organizing a fucking drawer of sandpaper instead of whatever the hell I was supposed to be doing, but I really needed to get that done. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, that's my roadblock is just hyper fixating on, random shit uh and it's even more frustrating going back to what i said earlier that like i know that's what's happening doesn't mean i can just walk away from it and easily transition into what i should be doing um it's a uh, it's it's frustrating for sure have you ever tried i'm like that too have you ever tried giving yourself a day of unstructured time it's cool because it's not like oh i'm gonna sit on the couch couch time but it's where you let that part of your brain without any shaming or shitting i don't have anything that i have to do on this day of unstructured time but i also have to like force myself to do nothing and i'll just fucking wander about being like oh i need to clean the ear hole here and oh well god you know what what i haven't updated my playlist in a long time because you know and just yeah. go do that all of a sudden you have like 17 projects you walk into the kitchen you're like oh you're here yeah. and, and it's it's nice to just give yourself an outlet to be like that 
I don't know. I feel like it's like I just need to let the beast run around a little bit sometimes. Oh, I feel that way. Like I tell my wife, you know, I get more done when you're not in town. Like if she goes to her sister's or something for the weekend, because and it like we have our own separate offices. We can go the entire day without like seeing each other, even though we're in the same house, like until four or five o'clock or whatever. But I know someone else is in the house. So I feel restrictive to what I can do. Whereas like if nobody's here, I will just like, I'll just start doing something. Like I'll finally finish that fucking trim in the hallway just cause I'm walking around and I notice it and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that now. Cause there's nothing else that's on my agenda to do. And like, I just noticed that and I know it has to get done and you know, why not? Um, and that's like a specific example. Cause you know, I can't fucking run a nail gun while my wife's on conference calls, but Maybe we get gray hairs to tell us to keep making our art and remind us that we don't have fucking forever. We start getting them really early, you know. They're just a lot like, of reminders up there. They're like, "Hello, <laughs> it's me." <laughs> Wondering when you're going to write that book about writing a novel before you write the novel you keep telling people about. I'm curious about. And then I'm just like, "Oh, stop talking." <laughs> Shut up, gray hair. Yank it out. Uh, I'm so afraid. Talking about demand avoidance. I've had this book naturally weathered at this point. I'm like, once I read this book, I can start my novel. And I'm like, okay, problem solved. Just never read the book and you never have to write the novel. But like in my head, like the best novel. <laughs> what kind of imposter syndrome do you be have? Great. Cause I've like, I, I've written, <laughs> I've written a memoir, 80,000 fucking words about my two years in Los Angeles. And now I'm afraid to do anything with it. <laughs> oh, um, do you have any to pull out from it and send to literary magazines? Cause that helped me a lot with my essays, like publishing them in literary journals. And that helps you if you want to find an agent or go through any traditional, even small presses. Oh, interesting. I can help you with that. I totally get that. I did that with a pilot. There was like an HBO fellowship thing. And then like, I I was like, okay, great. I can like do this on this deadline, submit to this thing. But I had no plan after that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There'll be people be like, I'm shopping my pilot. And I'm like, what? Like how? I can create. You know what's great about she is, she is that lady. She, she got that. She's got us. So I think we should just be like, well, at least got that part. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, the the Elise is of the world. You know what I mean? Or Elise is a is an angel. I I cannot speak higher of somebody. The things that she has done selflessly for other people is is remarkable. Um, Elise, I hope you don't hear this. How embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but... She does hear it. She should know. She's a fucking. She's she's like seven super women. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah um so but yeah the uh, but you don't have to be good at the that's what i really don't like about this modern world man why do i have to be i'm not good at everything i like can't put a wrap dress on like let me be what i'm good at let me explain you of your astrology can we talk about a wrap dress that, be the cousin that remembers that four fucking years ago your boyfriend said his joints hurt And I've sent him fucking like some herb that he would never take on his own because he wouldn't think of it. Like, let me be that person. That's what I'm good for. Don't make me tie shoes. You want to be the apothecary and only the apothecary? No, I just mean in general, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, dude, 
a couple weeks ago, I in like five minutes, I like decoded this entire previously subconscious relational pattern. And I was like, whoa, fuck yes. It was like super high level psychologically. I was super proud of myself. And then I went to sit up and I had my hair caught in my yoga bag in the zipper. I caught my hair and you know how long it took me to get that out? Over like twice as long it took me to figure something out from fucking childhood. That's like where it's at, you know, it's confusing. It is highly confusing. <laughs> but well, like, you know, in a fish on land, it, it's kind of shitty. Yeah. <laughs> you got to use people for what they're good for. But like in the way the world is, they're like, you should be, you know, is there an equivalent to girl boss? I just this boss. <laughs> that was unintentionally depressing. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, there's the patriarchy oh, for you, my folks. God. <laughs> is there an equivalent to girl boss? Just boss. <laughs> uh huh. All that you can title the episode that if you want to. <laughs> You're the boss. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. That's a mil- older millennial thing. But I still can't hear that phrase without seeing Tony Danza be like, Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I'll tell you what, and I hope Tony Danza doesn't hear this, but I was at, uh, <laughs> you know, Tony Danza's my target fucking market. You're making um, a podcast, you're like, I hope this person doesn't hear it. God, I, hope, I hope this yeah. person doesn't hear I, it. I hope nobody listens to this. Um, I was at Comic-Con in May, and Tony Danza was there, and I was like, no oh, I'm going to go meet Tony Danza. And I saw him walk by me like three or four different times, and he was so short, and he, his hair was so gray. And I was like, I think in order for Tony Maselli to really live on in my brain, I don't think I can meet Tony Danza right now. And so I did not meet Tony Danza. I did meet Christopher Lloyd, which was super cool, but he's so short that I don't like that. Yeah. Angela. It does bad things yeah. to my brain too. <laughs> it's like, he's larger than life. So you can't be smaller than me. Yeah. <laughs> you know who does I've met, I saw Michelle Pfeiffer at Nobu. A few months ago, and fuck, she looked good. I bet she looked good. Like I know we have the hundred thousand dollar facelift out here, but like, oh, she got it. <laughs> I hope she did. Either that, or she's not human. Was she wearing she her Catwoman outfit and everything? <laughs> she's just like ethereal. Um, and then what's also cool, I met Jamie Lee Curtis. She was really bossy. I was. I got so lonely last year, like two months before I did your podcast that I got a job at a restaurant. Like I had jobs, like I had, I didn't need the money. It was actually taking me away from making money because I had to have my phone in the locker there and missing all these client calls for like more than I would make in a week at this place. Yeah. But I was so lonely and I had this like romanticized ideal of like remembering waitressing. I remember one of my friends was like, Rebecca, you haven't worked for somebody that's not you in like eight years. And I was like, it's going to be so good. Um, but I did meet Jamie Lee Curtis and Sharon Stone and a third one, Jodie Foster. Where'd you work? Your uh, James. They were opening up the restaurant. So I thought maybe I could like avoid a lot of my social issues by being part of like the founding crew. Yeah. 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 yeah I know that. I... But I just, they kept telling me to do things and I was like, I'm not going to do like that. And then I'd be like, I don't need the money. 
And then I was like, I, literally on my second shift, I was like, oh, you need to leave. They're just going to keep telling you to do like that. And the other people are going to do like that because they do need the money. So you just, it's not the fun hang. I was like, I was just there for the hang. Yeah. So the training was amazing. <laughs> that I'm really, I don't regret it because two weeks of training. But then I had to drive there for 5 p.m. into the sun. One day, I never had to do that before. You cross the 405 into the sun. I smashed my phone on my, never had to, I smashed my phone and my wheel on the thing of my, yeah. So violent, there's something about finding out who you actually are that you've like passed this stage of burnout by then to be like, I can't go back. Like, I know what it did to me to like control myself in different ways. And like, it just, leads to me getting wasted and like you know letting loose with all everything i've suppressed yeah <laughs> i cannot drink it's good to know that restaurants aren't what they used to be if you used to wait tables because i waited tables a long time my wife has like often talked about maybe i'll get like a job on the weekends waiting tables that could be fun and you're telling me, no, don't go back to it. It's not what you think it is. <laughs> it's not what it used to be. You're right, because it's so much micro. Like, it was cool. I had, like, a cool manager. He was, a like, this, they have this, they have this new system where you have to, like, with a thingy, like, you have to type in their order as they're saying it with a fucking oh, machine. Like an iPad or something? Worse, because it's tiny and you're just to you know because it has the card thingy like that yeah yeah, yeah. Ugh. it looks like a fucking car phone <laughs> like I asked my manager if i could write down the orders in my little moleskine and then enter them and they said yes and then because the chef was like a Michelin, you know, Michelin. the star. Yeah. He had one star in like all of Los Angeles. We have like one star. <laughs> He's not that great is what I'm saying. It's like, ooh, wow, you know what good ingredients are. Like, that's it. Like, you like, oh, that's it. That's all you've got is good ingredients. Anyways, I don't remember his name, which is probably better for us. <laughs> <laughs> Because you know Tony Danza is going to hear this and he's going to tell that chef <laughs> exactly what he said. I was looking for breeders, by the way, and they had Sylvester Stallone holding a cat. And I'm like, I don't want that now. Like, I don't trust you anymore. Like, you guys are shady. Like, you know, what were we talking about? <laughs> that, I think that. That is the subject <laughs> du jour. Oh, my goodness. Um. Can you tell me how you feel about yourself in the last year after learning that you are on the spectrum? Dude, it's been, it's been a ride. Um, Cause things keep happening that like causes me to like re-examine my whole life. And especially at first when I was like, Oh, well, I guess I'm not an alcoholic. Like, I don't know. Like it was a lot, it was a lot to process. So like, no still figuring it out like even like what i'm supposed to work on and what i'm supposed to accommodate i mean i'm sure that we're all like trying to do that balance you know but i think the biggest coolest thing has been realizing that like it really is kind of simple like the name and 
the rules of the road, the name of the game, whatever the weird little phrase I want to use right now, and I'm going to hit all them, is like, it just comes back to like, I need to self-regulate. It's harder for me to stay regulated, especially in like a modern city. And I can't think accurately. I can't do anything, you know? And I feel like in the last year, I've been able to take, realize how I was showing up from this child place, like um, in a lot of areas, because I just, showing up to other people in a panic because I did not know how to regulate. And I get so focused on like, what am I going to do? And it's like, calm down because I have no access. And then when I add alcohol on top, it actually makes, and it was so, I kept, I kept quitting all year. Alcohol makes my sensory shit so much worse. Impulsivity. I mean, I'm turning off the frontal lobe. Like mine's already not shiny but it's probably pretty lumpy and small, okay? <laughs> lumpy and small. I need it. Yeah. Right? right now I'm trying to figure out like what to do with like the Cali sober thing because all drugs like they make some symptoms worse and some symptoms better. But I'm just, I'm not drank in 94 days in a row. Congrats. So that does feel better. It just does not make anything better and it's never gonna and i don't need to like 12 step not whatever i still need recovery and i think i i i kind of lost the plot with that part of it you know yeah yeah well congrats on 94 days that's awesome yeah keep keep on trucking there um is there anything other than gray's anatomy that you wanted to mention before (laughs) we close out here uh yeah i've started a new column uh on the sober curator called sobriety on the spectrum and i um trying to help people avoid some like the issues that i went into in 12 step among other things so my first piece out is um explaining to a not like a neurodivergent person like what they actually mean when they tell you to call to alcoholics every day and like what that lesson is and what they're trying to teach you so that you can figure out like how that's going to work best for you. Cause it took me like so long to figure these things out one by one. And like, yeah, so I'm excited about sobriety on the spectrum and you could actually go to sobriety on the spectrum.com even though it is hosted on the sober curator because Elise is amazing. And I knew I needed a new project. My favorite author, Lori Nataro, told me I need a new project. Shout out to her. Buy her book. She's amazing. Um, but she's like, you need a new project. And I'm like, oh, but all like the that part of the new project is horrifying. So thank you, Elise, for for loving the things that horrify me. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you have an outlet for, you know, uh, helping people that or, you know, helping people, helping yourself, like a past version of yourself and other people, if that makes sense. Um, so good on you. I'm excited to work more with you in that capacity as well. I'm going to let you go get whatever you put in the oven out of the oven. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I will. (laughs) I appreciate you taking the time and I will talk to you soon. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right. You just listened to my interview with Rebecca Rush. We went all over the place there, didn't we? (laughs) 
Um, I'll tell you what I, uh, what my thought process was there. And uh, Rebecca, if you're listening to this, this was my thought process there. I think, and she said this on there that she, you know, it wasn't the method in which we were addressing topics, but more of the topics that were being addressed that created a persona that I may have perceived as defensive. Uh, and I totally get that. And it's funny, there's a never ending plethora of people who I reach out to, to be on the podcast. And I ask them, I ask everybody and anyone that's been on the show can attest to it. I can forward you the emails. Um, I say, you know, let me know if there's anything you do not want to talk about. Uh, and even more importantly, anything you do want to talk about. And time and time and time again, people say, no, open book, ask whatever you want. We can talk about anything. And then I'll be like, what was that like with your parents? They'll be like, fuck off. We're not talking about that. <sighs> and then I look like an asshole. And then it creates a whole vibe. And that's particularly why I asked that question ahead of time. But that said, what I have learned, um, both, you know, in becoming a therapist and having these conversations, having like 150 conversations with these people, uh, on a podcast is sometimes you can just, just talk about something else. You know, I think if you're in therapy and it's like gung ho, boom, 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 boom. Or maybe you're in therapy in a resistant sort of way where you're like, yeah, I told, uh, told my girlfriend I go to therapy. Does anyone talk like that? Um, Try just talking about other stuff. Talk about a video game you like. Talk about a TV show. Talk about fucking Grey's Anatomy, which is what I'm getting at here. Uh, I thought when I'm editing it, I'm going through, and I think the entire conversation turned around when we started talking about Grey's Anatomy. Because who cares? But then Grey's Anatomy was this comfort show, and then that branched off into sex in the city and how that is a show that like ended up teaching her how to like behave. And turns out, you know, that's not great. And I really, I really enjoyed the turning point of our conversation. And I really think it was being honest to me, like we can talk about whatever and her picking Grey's Anatomy and letting the conversation go from there. Oh, I really liked it. So thank you, Rebecca. And um, make sure that you check out all of her stuff, Sober on the Spectrum, over at SoberCurator.com. And I'm sure there was a Bravis ad in this episode, so go check out some Bravis Brewing non-alcoholic beers and support that sober life for yourself and others. You know what? And others. And uh, yeah, keep on trucking, y'all. I got a bunch of... I have a whole lineup of episodes coming up <clears throat> of other counseling students, my peers, my friends, my colleagues. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy those interviews because typically if you are in the program, which is a phrase that I've used so often the last couple of years, <laughs> if you are in uh, the graduate program to become a, a therapist, you have one of two things. You either have 
gone through and worked on your shit or you are realizing whilst in the program you have to go through and work on your shit uh, and it's really funny because when you get later in the program you can really start to identify the people that are there this is so this is something my therapist uh my previous therapist told me before I started the program, she said, there is, you're going to see two kinds of people there. There's going to be people that are there that are going to be therapists. And there's going to be people that are there that need therapy. And wow. <laughs> it's so accurate. And it's not a bad thing. You know, I think people really forget about that... Um, that catalyst, you know, there has to be a catalyst for you to seek out, um, help for anything. It's not, you don't wake up one day and go, you know what? I ain't living right. Like it's not, that's not what happens. There is a catalyst and it could be something as simple and stupid as like, saw that guy on Instagram I went to high school with. And I was like, he's doing that what the, what the fuck have I been doing? And maybe that's it. And even though, you know, that's a terrible example, comparison, don't do it. Bad, 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 bad. Um, or it could be something like your spouse is like, Hey, if you don't go to therapy, we're not going to be married anymore. It could, it, it could be court mandated. Um, but there is always a catalyst. And so for a lot of people in this program, um, and I, I'll tell you right now, I don't think it's the people that I'm having on this podcast because I think, uh, I know these people well, and I'm excited to talk to them if anyone is still listening to this. Um, but it, there's the catalyst is, is the classes, you know, we're in classes, we're talking about development and we're talking about childhood and parents and trauma and these different the therapy modalities and we're doing like role plays and we are clients and we are therapists and that's going to shake some shit loose if you haven't done anything yet. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's like an immersion therapy situation. I mean, you are going head first into the pool that you didn't even know you forgot how to swim in. There's an analogy. So it's been very interesting and I'm nearing the end of it. So I've really, started to see some of that ramp up as I get closer to the end. And, um, that's, it's, it's really, it's fascinating. Humans are fascinating. I, as somebody that is constantly curious about how we function, how our brains function, how our, how our minds function. I mean, I think about things like, this rise in neurodivergence, um, that's happened. And I, I wonder, you know, oh, is that new? Is that from something? Is that something that just didn't have a fucking name before? Um, you know, if there was special education, unless it was a couple like reading issues in school, and I'm talking like school in the eighties and nineties when I was in school, it was severe um, mental illness that was in, or severe uh, 
developmental disorder. Like it wasn't ADHD until, I mean, that didn't even really pop off until the mid late nineties. And that was the big one. It was ADD at the time. Right. And then shit. Can you imagine? Oh, I, I could go down a rabbit hole here. It's, but it's, uh, it's fascinating. And I have to believe that to some degree it's been around, right? We just didn't have a name for it. And there's so much value in having a name, even if it doesn't change anything, putting a name to it, realizing like when I got diagnosed with ADHD, like what, two years ago, and all of a sudden I had this, this reasoning, right? This like, oh, why do I behave this way? Oh, confirmation that like my brain does not work like everyone else around me. Um, it's, it's really powerful. I mean, it sucks too, right? That's kind of comes with the territory, but really powerful. Um, almost burped in the microphone. Glad I didn't. I'm excited that it's the new year. I'm just going to keep talking. This episode is going to be nine hours long. Um, but I am excited. I'm excited. It's the new year. I know I went over this in the episode that came out in like Christmas or whatever, but it's, uh, you know, I set these goals and I have some goals. I'm not going to reveal them. I just decided that just now. I was like, do I say these on the podcast? Um, uh, no. And, and, you know, it's funny. I didn't really ever reference the ones I made a year ago until it came time to make ones for this year. And when I went back and saw all the ones that I made last year that I had accomplished, I'm not a big believer on like manifesting things, but, uh, I don't know. Maybe I just put that thought process out in the world that it's like, this is what I want to get done. And, uh, and then I just did it. So that was, that was cool. I was very happy with that. There's a lot of things that I, I wish I did get done. And there's a lot of things that after this last year, when I look back at the goals and I'm like, oh, I didn't do that, but I don't care. I'm like, oh, I guess I don't care about that as much as I thought. Uh, like there was one, this is a silly one, but like my friend's got a cabin up in Northern Michigan and I use it sometimes. And one of my goals for this past year was go up in this cabin more often. Like go, I, I do solo trips up there sometimes. I bring my kayak, it's on the water. Uh, and I got to the end of the year and I was reflecting back. I was like, oh, do I want to try that again this year? And I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't get me wrong. I wish I had a bunch of property in Northern Michigan and I could just go up there whenever and frolic around. Uh, but it's not something that I want to prioritize more than other stuff in my life. And that's, I think a really good thing to realize when you think about the stuff that you want and you kind of hold it up against the other stuff that you want. I think you can really like, you can be like, Oh, I don't know if I want this. It's a weird thing. Um, and there's, there's like a privilege guilt associated with some of this stuff too. Uh, and what I'm thinking of right now is like, so I got a visa gift card for Christmas. Right. And it's got $47 on it. And I was talking to Erica about it today and I was like, there is nothing that I can think of that I want that I wouldn't 
that like I want and don't want to spend my own money on that's $47. And I'm not going to like throw the gift card away or anything. I'll go use it at Kroger for freaking gas or something. But I understand the, when I say, I'm hesitant to say that. Like I was thinking about saying that and then I was like, oh, is this going to sound like I'm not appreciative of that? Because fuck man, $47 to 22 year old Justin, that's, that's lunch and dinner for like two weeks. <laughs> like, And I know that I would, I lived that. Uh, and so I, it's not that I don't appreciate it, but it's funny as our status changes, um, whether we get new jobs or whatever that looks like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's weird to transition your life in a way. It's very strange. I have a buddy that thinks all people that have money are assholes, I guess. Oh, you're rich, you're a dick, you're an asshole. And just like that is not the mindset, man. Like, first of all, that's not true. If you generalize any population, uh, that's your, let's just say at risk of like calling somebody a racist, I'm just going to say it generalizing any population, stereotyping a population based on one trait ain't a good look. All right. Uh, and so if you're like, Oh, all rich people are assholes. What, what, a what, a I, ugh, I can't even get into it. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and I'm not like offended as I'm not a rich person, <laughs> but it's, I, I've done all this work and I've done all this growth. And sometimes even though I have developed a greater sense of empathy, when I think about the thought processes that I used to have and I see them in the people that are around me, because I don't just stop hanging out with people that I've known for fucking 30 years, but it's, it's harder for me to rationalize and just accept that way of thinking in somebody that's so close to me. I'm just rambling now. This is a conversation I'm literally having with myself. Are you still listening to this? If you are, shoot me a message and let me know. <laughs> I'm always curious. Uh, I'm sure there's some weird stat that I could dive into and find out how long people listen. And I definitely uh, get annoyed sometimes with like fact checks and post-show blabber. But I also don't turn it off. <laughs> so... What does that say? Oh, I'm loving the new podcast setup. Just did my first interview in the new setup. I got recliners. Oh, it's great. No more sitting at a desk. I posted a picture in stories. That's going to be gone by the time you hear this. So I will just tell you it is great. If you want to see a picture, let me know. I'll post another picture. But unless someone actually asks me for that, I'm not going to. Uh, yeah, it's good. Things are good. I'm going to really ramp up the end of my schooling this year and a lot to look forward to. So that goes for the podcast too. There you go. Oh, and if you are a counseling student 
or you are considering being a counseling student, um, I started another podcast because I, why not? Who doesn't have free time? It's called Practically Practicum. And it's a podcast for counseling students. So check that out if you feel so, I don't know, feel, feel so inclined. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. I clearly need to shut this off. So I'm going to. But hey, it's good talking to you guys, even if it's one-sided. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Talk to you next week. Okay, bye-bye. I love you.